good morning, good night, and everything else in between. What's up guys, it's Denny. Let's get into the specials. The Brooklyn Nets unveiled their new home court on Monday. The court will be exclusively black and white, but all the Nets are missing from being relevant is being read all over. Hit maker Mark Ronson came out as sapiosexual, meaning that you're attracted to brains over beauty. And this is a heady play by the Star is Born songwriter because I imagine being referred to as the shallow songwriter comes with its own set of challenges. Jeff Bezos pledges that Amazon will swiftly combat climate change. He said this cruising at 30,000 feet on his own private jet, pumping thousands of gallons of gasoline into the atmosphere. The owner of Great Wolf Water Parks and Resorts is set to sell the parks to Blackstone Group Incorporated in a move that experts are calling a slippery slope. I'm Denny Gallagher, and you are listening to Later. Live from New York. You are listening to the sometimes glamorous, always cantankerous, borderline magnanimous audio art of the new James Brown. Move over, Charlie Brown. There's a new kid in town. Whether it's 5 o'clock while you are or not, you better take your shot because a later Friday big show is coming in hot. Ladies and gentlemen, we are gathered today to get through this thing called... I'm not going to knock off Prince. What's up, guys? It's Denny. Welcome on into the show this week. This is later. My name's Denny Gallagher. You made it. What a couple of days. As I let you guys know, last week was in L.A. for a few days. Got some great conversations coming your way. Let's set the table today on the program. You know him from his radio show on ESPN L.A. You know him from the jump occasionally. You know him from his sideline reporting on ESPN. He's a jack of all trades. He's Mr. 305, but he's living out there in the 213. That's right. We got George Sedano on the program today. Jack of all trades, as I said. So he's coming up in just a few minutes. Anyway, had a great trip out there. Have some stuff I really think that you're going to like coming up. Uh, if you follow us on the social media platforms, that's Denny Gallagher on Instagram. That's Litter Podcast on Instagram. That's Denny underscore Gallagher on Twitter. You know what we got coming up. We talked to some really cool people while we were out there. So, And we also record some cool stuff for Ball and Chain. So be sure to go check out Steve and Rebecca's Ball and Chain podcast. It's awesome. I'll be on in the next few weeks in case you miss me. Now, Lost in the Traffic of the NFL getting heated up, lost in the traffic of all of that. We've, you know, we've had some playoff basketball. As I record this on a Monday afternoon, the Connecticut Sun have already punched their ticket to the WNBA championship. But I'm bringing this up today and I'm leading with this because Liz Cambage, we need more of her on the American sports landscape. She had this to say following... Her team's season-saving win against the Washington Mystics on Sunday. I just kept stealing inside. You know, they got small fours guarding me. If they can't handle it, get in the weight room or get out of the post. So that's what I'm doing. I'm just doing my thing inside. 
Never in the history of post-game interviews has an athlete captured how I feel every time I walk into the gym like Liz Cambage just did on Sunday night. I mean, for the love of God, every time I go over to a deadlift or any sort of thing where people are yoked out of their minds at the gym and normally hogging it, mind you, I feel like they're being like, Get in the weight room or get out the post. Well, I'm trying to get in the weight room, but your intimidation factor, anybody that has ever said that there's a judgment-free zone at the gym is lying to your face. And quite frankly, you should get your money back. So shout out to Liz Cambage. When you're an NBA player, when you're a WNBA player, when you're an athlete in general, you want to be that person that's the bully. So bullies belong in two places on the basketball court, and at the gym. So God bless Liz Cambage. Good luck to her in the next game. Even though I know I was talking to Megan McPeak a little bit over the weekend, who we had on on the last show, you know, she was kind of sizing up her ring a little bit. So it's 2-1, Washington Mystics. By the time you hear this, the Mystics will have either punched their tickets to the WNBA Finals to face the Connecticut Sun, or we'll be facing a Game 5 winner-take-all. So exciting stuff happening there. We're going to get to a little bit of hardwood talk and career talk with George Donato in just a little bit. But first, I want to get to our song of the day. It's Family and Loyalty by Gangstar featuring J. Cole. Smooth track to kind of get your local summer out of the way. Don't know if local summer is a thing where you are. But, you know, it's that warm days of September where you can still hit up the beach. It's a perfect song for that vibe. And without any further ado... Here is ESPN's George Sedano. Diamonds are forever like family and loyalty or real rap songs like... There's a million awesome sushi joints in Hollywood, West Hollywood. Um, there are a ton of great... Uh, Koreatown isn't too far. There's great cheap eats in Koreatown. Uh, so many good places there for like Korean barbecue. Um, just in that general area, there's like a lot of stuff. You're not that far from Beverly Hills if you want to do something fancy. So, yeah, like there's like I, I, I mean, there's probably way too many things to list here in one podcast. But I would just say in that general area, there's a lot of really good places to eat uh, as far as stuff to do. Um, I mean, if you've never been to L.A., you might as well do the touristy stuff. Go yeah. see the Hollywood sign. Right. Go see the, the Runyon theater. Canyon. Yeah. All that yeah. Stuff. Runyon Canyon. Uh, you know, it's, if you can get to the beach, do it. It's yeah. nice. Uh, but, you know, it may not you may not be able to have time because. Getting to the beach from that part of it's town tough. isn't always yeah. isn't always easy, right? So, when did you first think that this was something you wanted to do, or or could do for that matter? Oh, I mean, I would say it probably started in high school, where I did like a TV production class, and at that point, I kind of had a real feel for this is something I want to do for a living. And from that point on, I was pretty focused. At that point, you know, I went and uh, when I was in college. I did an internship. I was very lucky because I lived in Miami and CBSSports.com is based in Fort Lauderdale. So it was pretty close. And I was able to kind of get an internship there and really kind of learn in their audio department. They were the first group. It was actually not CBSSports.com at that point. It was called Sportsline.com. And CBS eventually bought it. But they were the first kind of uh, group to do streaming audio. And, uh, you know, Mark Cuban had discovered Broadcast.com shortly thereafter or maybe just before. Um, But CBS, uh, excuse me, Sportsline.com was the first to really kind of go all in on streaming audio 
from like a network perspective. So they created a bunch of radio shows to stream on the internet. And um, so I started working with them. So I learned kind of the honor aspect of it, the behind the scenes aspect of it. And it really just kind of flourished from there. I, uh, I was kind of lucky that there was a mom and pop sports station starting in Miami called 1700 The Fan. And the guy who was the owner was friends with the host that I was working with at Sportsline. And, uh, you know, I, I got a chance to work there. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, you know, I was at that point, I was working like 12 hour days for like, I don't know, probably like $9 an hour or something, <laughs> maybe less. And, uh, you know, I was doing everything. I was board hopping. I was doing updates. I was hosting shows. I mean, it was a mom and pop operation from every aspect. And like most mom and pop operations, they don't last. So maybe like a 15 months into it, the place imploded. I was out of work for, I would say, easily 10 months. And at that point, I really doubted whether uh, this was something I was going to be able to do. And I spent a lot of time in Miami uh, driving around, listening to the sports talk radio and being very, uh, I don't know, I, I would say the, the reaction I had was probably to be a little uh, annoyed. Right. Like mm. just like, hey, this didn't work out for me. And I, I hear guys on the air and I feel like I'm better than them um, or at least comparable to them. And yeah, it was a tough time. Like those 10 months were tough. I was literally running, uh, working for my buddy who ran a courier business. So I was driving all day, which made it worse, I think, mm. <laughs> because I was listening to the radio all the time. And uh, yeah, it, it became a real kind of mental hurdle. And, and a real hurdle just in general from a career standpoint. So at that point, I was also kind of uh, in a tough spot because, look, when you're young, you say really stupid things. And when I was on that mom and pop station, I used to take a lot of shots at the, uh, the Heritage Sports Station, which didn't necessarily endear me to management there. <laughs> um, so when I was a free agent per se, uh, they didn't want anything to do with me. I was banned, okay? banned and i learned that because my dad at the time uh was working for uh, ford and ford happened to be a uh, or that particular dealership happened to be a big endorser uh a sponsor on the sports radio station in town and that basically got back to him and got back to me that nope sorry not happening not him and I was like, okay. So um, I thought my career was over, and I was kind of really rethinking what to do at that point. So how did you rebound from that? Did you just, I mean, just keep keep making demos, keep just keep <clears throat> grinding? I mean, because like there wasn't like a like a podcast avenue that you could have gone down. No. So what happened was I got pretty lucky that about I think it was October of two thousand and one. I. Uh, Clear Channel at the time, which is now iHeartMedia, started a sports radio station. Uh, they were, they had just launched Fox Sports Radio like a year before, so they were and Fox Sports Radio was o actually owned by Clear Channel, and they just leased they leased the Fox Sports mm -hmm. name, and uh, they were they flipped one of their stations to sports, and they didn't do a lot of local programming. That's for sure. I think they did like an hour a day, mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, I got on there as kind of like a part-time freelance update guy, reporter type. 
So I was covering games. I'd occasionally come in and do updates. They also, you know, that that company also owned uh, WIOD in Miami, which is the longtime news talk station where the Heat actually were the uh, – they had the broadcast rights to the Heat for a very, very long time. And um, so I was able to kind of – when I was there, I would do updates for the sports station and the news station. And that's kind of how I got my foot back in the door. And the guy who got me my foot back in the door – was a man named Manny Munoz, who was my program director at that mom and pop station. And, uh, and he told me, look, he vouched for me, basically. And, uh, and that's how I got back in the business, slowly but surely. Hmm. So as you're being a producer, kind of learning the back end of it, how did that impact your style? Because I know people normally start, they start out brash, but then when they learn more production elements, they know how to work with the music, work, work with the sound. Did that happen for you? Oh, yeah. Look, I mean, even to this day, I yeah. feel like I'm still kind of a little bit of a student of the game. Right. Mm. Um, and that just that doesn't just go for radio like that goes for TV, too. Like I um, I feel like I've gotten pretty good at TV over the last couple of years. And a lot of that is because um, I wasn't necessarily that great at TV at the beginning, more so because I just didn't know how how to feel comfortable on television. Most people thought I did, but I inside didn't. Um and I think a lot of that is just kind of going over your tape, right? Whether that's TV or on audio, like just <laughs> you're going to be your toughest critic. And I at least have always been. So, yeah, a, a lot of that happened at that time. I was sitting there, you know, kind of learning the business still. Um, it was easier to learn the business there because, again, it was an established operation. I'm working for a big conglomerate, even though I'm only a part-time person at that point. And... Uh, but there were a lot of people in and out of that building that allowed me to kind of learn from them. And I think that was really important. So ultimately, what ended up happening, the way I got back on the air doing talk shows, was the guy who was the sports director there was hosting that one-hour show in the evening. And he got let go. And my boss was like, hey, do you want to do this show? <laughs> uh, my boss at the time was a guy named Peter Bolger. And he ran both AM stations. And I was like, yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> so it started off as an hour. And then I want to say a few months into it, they gave me two hours. So it was on five to seven. And we really were rolling. And, you know, for a station that had zero promotion, uh, that had really no budget, <laughs> we actually did a pretty good job of getting it noticed. And I think that's where I really started to kind of develop my style, loud, bold, <laughs> brash, right? As I've gotten older, I think I'm a little more reserved, but I think that just comes with age <laughs> and understanding that doing a talk show or doing anything on TV or in media, it's almost like I would relate it to a pitcher. You can't throw fastballs all game. You know what I'm saying? Like you got to throw a curveball, a changeup, this, that, and the other. So, But then I was just throwing heat. <laughs> like I, I didn't know any other speed. Um, but I was good at throwing heat at 20, you know, four or five, whatever it was, years old, you know? Mm. So – that that really was the impetus of me getting into uh, a, a real foothold into talk radio. And it eventually led to my first national stint on radio on Fox Sports Radio. Hmm. And I, I just want to revisit when you talked about like discomfort and, and all that stuff. I, I asked everyone that comes on here that's in like the media that talks for a living. Uh, when did you get comfortable with your voice? Because I hate the sound of my voice. Most people I've talked Ooh. to hate the sound of their voice. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you ever really get comfortable with that. Yeah. I, I think that you just kind of deal with it. Mm. My thing is, as long as your voice is, 
not, you know, you know, nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> I think that you can survive in this business because I think most people understand that used to be a thing. I think in the early days, I don't think now it's as big a deal. I don't love my voice, but I <laughs> certainly don't think I've got like a terrible voice. Mm. But I, I think that it's really about the content. And, and see, the one thing I've learned over the years is it's not okay when i first started i used to try to tell people this is how you should think (laughs) as opposed to telling them how they should feel and then somewhere along the line that flipped and once i started doing that then i really got a feel for the medium and then i really started to have a lot of success well how do you tell people how to feel i mean that's that's a that's a concept i mean because like yeah you can like speak you you can get your ideas out there but how do you tell people how to feel well, I think you have to be genuine in your passion about what you're talking about, right? I think people can sense phonies pretty easily. So because of that, I, I just let my passion kind of do the bidding for me, right? And, I, you know, I think sometimes you can actually say, look, if I were the fan of Team X, I would be mortified <laughs> about X, Y, and Z, right? Like, I think you, you kind of, you, there's sometimes you can just be as direct as that. But I just think that ultimately you can't fake passion. And I think that was always kind of the thing that separated me from a lot of people when I was when I was doing it, you know, Hmm. on a at least at that stage of my career. Yeah, it's fine. So I've worked with a a bunch of people out of Miami and and it seems like Miami is a very different radio market. Obviously, every market is unique. But what makes Miami different? Man, it's really weird. Uh, It's a great it is unique. Um, First of all, half the town is hispanic right so right there um and and even a a chunk of that a large chunk of that half doesn't even speak english so Mm. you're already um from a radio perspective you're already eliminating a large chunk of the audience so you're really fighting for a smaller amount from a percentage standpoint but i think what helped me was because it's a majority hispanic town i you know i'm cuban I grew up there and there really wasn't a lot of Cuban voices on the radio in Miami when I was doing radio. It was really just a lot of old white guys, <laughs> you know, for the most part. And um, there was only one other Cuban host and Miami is a predominantly Cuban American town. I mean, there's clearly Hispanic people from all across the world there, but I would say the majority are still Cuban. So the fact that there was only one other guy and he was getting some run at night for the most part, and he'd been, uh, and he works with you guys, Orlando Owls ago. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I've worked with yeah. the big O. Yeah, <laughs> and he, uh, you know, so I was kind of getting a shot to do this in prime time, right, where it was different. And I think that there are a lot of people just gravitated to that, right? Like, I was younger. I was speaking a different language to them because most of the guys that were doing sports talk radio at that time, as I mentioned, were old and white. <laughs> so... You know, and the format was generally old, but I think even at a very early stage in 2003, um, when I was doing Sports Talk Radio in that on that show uh, from five to seven, you could sense how younger people were gravitating to Sports Talk Radio. Um, and then I went, and from there I, I went to work for Fox Sports Radio, which again, as, as I mentioned, owned by Clear Channel. The story to that is pretty crazy. It's just long story short. Um, the Super Bowl at that time was, you know, Radio Row was like the place to be if you were a sports talk host. And 
I was like, yo, I got to be on Radio Row. <laughs> I mean, I was whatever, 24, 25 years old. I'm like, I got to be there. Whatever it takes, I got to be there. So I told my boss, Pete Bolger, I said, hey, I want to broadcast from Radio Row. This is like 2004. So it was Patriots, Panthers Jack, uh, in Houston. And uh, so maybe 03, 04. Yeah, 03 season, 04 game. And that's the Janet Jackson Super Bowl uh, <laughs> where her her boob popped up with Justin Timberlake. And um, so he's like, no, we can't send you. We don't have the budget. And I'm like, okay. So I decided on my own to go to the NFL's media website and see what the costs would be to get a line to connect. And I looked into the travel part of it, uh, the airline and the hotel. And uh, so I booked a hotel at a roadway in uh, in downtown Houston. Uh, right down the street from the convention center, and I booked my flight, and I can I paid for the uh, the uh, connection on my own, and I told him, hey, look, I get that you uh, you guys can't pay for it, but I'm paying for it, and he looked at me like I was crazy, and uh, he's like, you did what? And I'm like, yeah, I already, I already booked my flight, I booked the hotel, so if you're cool, I'm 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 gonna do this, you know. And he was like, he just kind of looked at me and kind of looked away and he was like, whatever, you know, it's fine. You can go. And then I was like, all right, cool. A couple of days later, he came back to me. He's like, by the way, just give me those receipts. I'll, 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 I'll take care of the room and the flight and, and the stuff. And, and I was like, all right, awesome. So I got it done. And, uh, and I went over there and when I, uh, was, you know, where I was situated was right next to Fox sports radio. So my boss, Peter, at the time had told me, I'm, I'm going to connect you with Andrew Ashwood, who uh, at the time was running Fox Sports Radio. Him and Peter grew up together in Wisconsin. And uh, so he said, you know, I, go see, you know, if you have any issues, Andrew will be there. They have an engineer if something goes wrong or whatever. So I go there. I set up on Sunday night. I meet their engineer who happened to be there. Um, and then the next day, I, you know, I, I, I go there to my setup. You know, that that week he was going to allow me to do three to seven because I was at the Super Bowl. So I was doing four hours for the first time. And he uh, so Andrew Ashwood comes over, he's big, big dude and big personality. He introduces himself and he's like, you know, Peter and I are Sunday school friends and blah, 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 you know, whatever. And he's like, whatever you need, your family, blah, blah, blah. And I said, all right, cool. So um, he's literally, I don't know. 15 feet away from me and three o'clock starts show hits i'm going out of the gate i'm doing my thing first break i don't know 10 12 minutes in whatever he comes back up to me he hands me his business cards let's grab a drink tonight so i was like okay let's do it and um he offered me at that time an opportunity to host like weekend overnights while also hosting the afternoon show in miami and they just do it on an isdn or whatever and uh, and eventually that led a few months later. That was February. So in like August, uh, a few months later, they gave me the uh, their overnight guy left, and I got the full weekday overnight job after that. So yeah, it's it, it look man, it's it's crazy. Like radio is just it's a lot of like there's a lot of talented people, but sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. You know, yeah, right? In 2004, okay, you you start doing heat pregame, postgame, occasionally, right? How important do you think that was in terms of getting in with the NBA? Because I know it's kind of a little circle of like the broadcasters. Do you think that that was a great foot in the door for you? Oh, there's no question. So 
2004 was an incredible year for me career-wise, right? Like, I'm working overnights on a national network, right? I'm 25, 26 years old. Um, so, as I mentioned, the overnight guy at Fox had left, so I, I was able to prove that I could do that. And the Heat Cream postgame host had also just left, okay? <laughs> and so they asked me to do that. And this was before the Shaq trade. So this is coming off Dwayne Wade's rookie season. Mm -hmm. And at that point, um, you know, as I mentioned, I was doing the talk show from five to seven um, locally, but I was doing, um, I was also covering games and whatnot at the heat at that point. So, you know, I, it was Dwayne's work year. It was a great time to be there. Like it was really fun. They were like a fun team that got to the second round of the playoffs. So, you know, that was my first year of actually covering the league was the year before. And, then that next year in 04, I got to do the Heat pre and post game. And that really did change everything because then I got in with the organization on a different level, right? I'm around the players on a more different level, around the coaches on a more different level. Um, you know, everything was different about it. So, yeah, it is a small fraternity. And their broadcast guys, I mean, to this day, I mean, I'm still super close with them. And I got to cover, you know, one of the greatest players in the history of the sport, right? And to the point where my relationship with him from a work perspective couldn't have been better. Like, he is, he, my career is where it is because of Dwayne Wade. Like, I don't think there's any question, particularly when it comes to the NBA stuff. So, um, yeah, like that, that moment changed everything. I mean, they went from a team that hadn't really done anything for two or three years. You know, I mean, they had made the playoffs the year before, whatever, but they had, they had a small dip uh, for a couple of years, and here I am, and then Shaq gets traded there. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they're title contenders, and I'm the guy hosting pre- and post-game on radio. Yeah, like it, it changed everything. Do you buy into that theory that uh, Pat was interviewing for the Lakers job, and that's how the whole trade went down? Because he was like, oh, wait a minute, so the Lakers are going to trade? Because the story that I've heard is that he was in interviewing with the Lakers and he found out that a trade was possible for Shaq is like, I might as well just stay in Miami. Is that true? I've heard that. I, I he's never confirmed that to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've heard that story so many times now that you have to think that there's some truth to it. Yeah. So, uh, the Lakers people absolutely contend that that was the case. <laughs> so, um, and I can tell you that being around that group now for a number of years, but so yeah, I, I, I believe it. And yeah, and I think that, that that worked itself out pretty nicely for, for Pat, for Shaq, for Dwayne, and, and certainly tangentially for me. Oh, my God. So um, I just want to touch on this because when I talk to beat writers on, on here, they talk a lot about how the success of their team has impacted them getting a, a exposure for, like, AP stories, radio hits. How, on the radio side of things, does it give you more exposure to be part of a winning team's broadcast? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I think that there was a sense of like, hey, let's have George Sedano on to talk about the Miami Heat because they were now a big hot story with Shaq there. Um, and there was some of that there where I would say that you saw a real difference was after I had left Fox Sports Radio in 2007, I came back to Miami and shortly thereafter, a couple of years later, you know, LeBron, Wade and Bosch came to be and that changed everything I, that team is the reason i think i eventually got to espn because i had talked to espn in 2008 about joining them and at that time they wanted to kind of create a 
so ESPNU was about to launch, and they wanted to make ESPNU much like they had, much like they, they they wanted to make ESPNU in the mold of what ESPN and ESPN Two are, except with a college hint to it, right? Mm. There was going to be tons of talk shows, right? Like all that stuff. It's going to be they're going to have their own version of PTI and First Take and Around the Horn. Now that never materialized because in two thousand nine there was the uh, the uh, economic crisis, and that changed the game. So. I wasn't, so they no longer were going down that path. So that that didn't end up materializing. But I'd always been in contact with the people at ESPN. And then once Wade and LeBron <laughs> and Bosch got together, they were calling me all the time to do Sports Center stuff. Uh, I went on first take with Stephen A. and Skip a bunch of times when they were in town. And I really got a chance to kind of work with that group more so than I had previously. And yeah, I, I just think that that really was the impetus for the, the success I've had to this point was that team. That team changed everything because that team literally changed everything for the entire sport and the way we cover the sport. And how much do you think that impacted 790, the ticket? Obviously, you go national on the ESPN front, Levitard, it becomes national, and also kind of building off that, how much did those relationships, because like, you guys, I mean, wasn't a, like, a, like a massive station, like nationwide, until then, but, you know, it just kind of comes up, and now all of a sudden you guys are household names. Yeah, well, those first two years, we were just doing local. I was doing the morning show, and Dan was doing the afternoon show. And, you know, Dan's show... Um, like our show did really well, but Dan's show you could you could get the sense that it was becoming a monster. Um, so, it, it, look, it's crazy that that station, if you really think about it, had a lot of national talents on it. it had me, it had Sid Rosenberg who works in New York now, uh, Book Shambi who's the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, and and then Dan. So that station, you know, it's funny when I went to join that station, I remember the same gentleman, Andrew Ashwood, who hired me at Fox saying, you know, I won't say this on the record anywhere, but I'll tell you, I think that station might have the best lineup in the country uh, when you think about the type of guys who are on there. And yeah, that, you know, we just, everything just took off because the importance of Miami and what LeBron did. LeBron is, it's, he's, it's, he's his own economy <laughs> is the way I would describe it. And, and that led to a lot of people um, in Miami getting a lot of FaceTime on ESPN and on a bunch of national outlets. And, you know, I like to say that we have a little Miami media mafia. Dan's, <laughs> Dan's kind of like the godfather to it at ESPN. And, uh, you know, Luther Campbell, uh, formerly of the Two Life crew, Uncle Luke, uh, says Dan's the president and I'm the vice president of the Miami media mafia. I'll take it. I'm, I'm good being Dan Lebertard's running mate forever. Uh, that guy's my dude, so... Uh, so so between that stretch like 2009 to, to 2012 it, it seems like every medium in miami you were there did it ever get overwhelming and how did or was your eye just kind of on the prize the entire time um i don't think it ever got overwhelming i just think it was fun yeah. man like <laughs> i have never had a better time covering a team and being on the radio like that because now maybe i've had more fun as in laughs because uh, when I, those three years I was at Fox Sports Radio, I will, I, I still to this day, twelve years later, still get people that'll tweet me like, "Yo, I miss you on that show," <laughs> because that show we were doing like morning zoo in the middle of the night, man. <laughs> Nobody was doing that. The guys I was doing, I was doing the shows against Kevin Wheeler and Todd Wright. God bless them; they're they're very good at what they do. 
they were single hosts doing a single host show, right? And it was not fun. Like, yeah. it was just a, you know, X's and O's kind of sports talk show where I'm doing this crazy thing <laughs> in the middle of the night with my producers talking and my update girl talking and everyone arguing and laughing and goofing around. And it's funny because my original bosses at Fox didn't want that. They wanted me to be like the other guys. I'm like, no, I need to do this differently so I can stand out. And clearly that eventually worked out because we ended up having like 300 plus affiliates uh, by the time it was all said and done. And they weren't all even sports stations. Um, but to your point, um, I think from just a pure like sports perspective, man, every game mattered. Like it's the NBA, like the running joke is, you know, wake me up after Christmas or wake me up during the playoffs. Like every game, those first couple of seasons particularly, were treated like a game seven from a coverage standpoint, both locally, nationally. It was unlike anything I've ever seen before. And I don't think we'll ever really see it again, to be frank with you. That's so crazy because a lot of the time up here, I feel like people don't have fun with it up here in New York. And I feel like like the whole Miami vibe and, and especially the the time with that team was just incredible so how does the move to los angeles happen is is that espn connection or what kind of happened there so so what happened was i had gone to bristol for three years and my deal was coming up and the um you know forces just collided right max steve uh, skip bayless leaves first take max kellerman who was doing radio and sports nation in la for espn la um gets the first take job they decide to also start a morning show, a local morning show in L.A., and that's kind of how it all unfolded. It just kind of, you know, happenstance, right? Like, here's this opportunity. What do you think? You know, it allows you – we're going to be doing this NBA show in L.A. too. It allows you to maybe be part of that a little bit. It's Rachel's show, but, you know, we could probably get you on there a little bit. And all that stuff just kind of happened, right? And we do – at the time, they were doing Sports Nation uh, out of those – out of that building too and they obviously have a couple of sports centers so there was things to do there and i was like wait a second so you're telling me the kid who grew up around sunshine and palm trees gets to go back to sunshine and palm trees and not the winner sure where do i sign so that's it that's just how i ended up in la and then clearly lebron james needed to follow me so a year later he was also in Los Angeles, which also, again, really opened up a lot for me uh, in, in a number of ways, too, because then all of a sudden it's like, hey, LeBron's in L.A., George has covered LeBron, let's go to George for a lot of this stuff. So being in the LeBron economy, man, I, I've said this, uh, I did an interview with the big lead a couple of years ago when he first came to L.A., and it was, um, and it's that, it's like I've won the LeBron lottery twice, and as someone who produces content, like you, you really, you have to enjoy that stuff when you have it because it, you may never have that stuff again. At least not something that comes as easy as as what he brings to the table. It's funny that you bring up the LeBron economy because it feels like LA is just you know New York used to be the mecca of basketball hasn't produced a good player maybe since, since Kemba, but the entire mecca of basketball is now out there in LA. What's going on with this Clippers Inglewood situation? Well, that's like a super fascinating story that I think nobody cares about. I love it. But basically, it's you have a situation where the Clippers lease is up at Staples Center in 2024, I believe. They want to build their own arena in Inglewood right near where the Rams and Chargers' new NFL stadium is going to be. Uh, the challenge there is that James Dolan owns the old Forum, 
and it's a super awesome concert venue. And he is trying to sue everyone uh, underneath the sun to try to make sure that this arena doesn't happen. So you have this kind of strange deal with uh, all these billionaires kind of uh, involved in a <laughs> brawl of sorts uh, legally between the Lakers and the Clippers and the Knicks and then all of the other people that are involved uh, that are not necessarily re directly related to sports. There's just a lot of infighting potentially and then there's politicians that are involved. It's going to be fascinating to see if they actually get that thing built. I, I think Balmer will get it done. And I, I think it would be good for them to have their own place. But I can totally see why James Dolan, who's not a sympathetic figure by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination, would be furious about that. Because you're talking about Steve Ballmer, Mr. Microsoft, is going to build an arena down the street from your arena, which is, again, got amazing acoustics, the Forum. It's the reason why I think it's the best concert venue, indoor concert venue in L.A. And it's why he spent a lot of money in refurbishing it, because it, it kind of feels a lot like Madison Square Garden, the way it's built. The, uh, the old-timey construction allows for that, those great acoustics. But you got Mr. Microsoft. You know he's going to build an amazing arena with probably awesome acoustics, too. That's not going to help his business. So I, I can understand why this thing is going to be a 12-round brawl. Have you been following uh, this Lakers HBO show, Showtime? Uh, I have. Um, I, I know that they're still trying to cast uh, the characters right, right. now. Uh, so, but oh. I think it's going to be interesting to see who they cast. I guess my uh, suggestion would be they need to cast Kareem first. Because... I think they did that already. I think it's okay. Good because the thing is, if you cast a guy as Kareem, <laughs> no matter how tall he is, all you have to do is cast people shorter than him <laughs> at that point, and it becomes a lot easier. I think the guy used to play for the Harlem Globetrotters, so he has some showbiz okay. experience. But uh, John C. Riley playing J Dr. Jerry Buss. I did see that. Yeah, I didn't. Th I didn't love it at first, but then I actually saw a little side by side, and I could kind of see it a little bit. Nice. And then finally, last one for me. What's your career goal? Where do you want to be? I, I mean, you probably hit your goal, oh, but where do you want to go? It's man. a stratosphere question. Man, I've been really blessed. So I mean, I, I'm already doing a lot of what I would ever have dreamed of. Uh, look, man, my goal is just to stay employed, man. Like that's <laughs> it. Just stay in the chair. You know what I mean? The longer you stay in the chair in this business, the better it is. You know what I mean? Like the longer I don't have to work a real job. Um, <laughs> if I don't have to work a real job for my entire life outside of, you know, when I was really young and before I uh, and that 10 month hiatus, uh, you know, when I was in my early 20s, then I will have been blessed. So whether that's television or radio, I love working in the NBA. So the more I can work in the NBA, I, I'm happy with that. And uh, and certainly being able to do the talk shows like around the horn and the radio stuff, like all that stuff is a blast. So the more I can do more of what I'm doing for the next, uh, you know, 20 plus years, 25 years, that'd be, that'd be more than a dream come true. Awesome stuff from George Sedano there. Guys, guys, the man, it was awesome to get to talk to him, pick his brain. You know, we're all just out here striving to do something in, in this business, at least the people, that I see every day and to, to, to see someone that's really, you know, grinded. I mean, been doing the same kind of shifts that I've been doing and, and stuff like that. Just trying to get himself out there. It's cool to see, uh, you know, every now and, and again, you kind of get lost in the monotony of all of it. And just a reminder that hard work pays off and, you know, just just to keep doing your thing and to keep grinding. So awesome insight there. Anyway, big thanks to him again for hopping on today. 
You can follow him on Twitter at Sedano. He got the highly coveted one name Twitter handle. And he's George Sedano ESPN on Instagram as well, in case you want to shout him out there. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. Email us at laterpodcasts at gmail.com. You can follow me at Denny underscore Gallagher on Twitter, at Denny Gallagher on Instagram, Later Podcast on Instagram. Going to be putting together some other stuff real soon, so look forward to that. Anyway, I think it's time to cue up the boys from Tom, Dick, and Harry. And until next time, later. Later.